0: So, if you have a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter 1. Before we get into the book of Genesis, I would like to um, look at the character of Jesus. And so, what I want to talk about today is the identity of Christ, the identity of Jesus. And I want to use my favorite book in the the New Testament, the book of Mark. Mark 1, let's pray and we're going to do the whole book today. God, I thank you so much that you are a God who is merciful and kind and long suffering, meaning God that there are times when we've turned from you, rebelled and, or just flat out disbelieved, but you're just, your love is persistent. You are long suffering with us. You're kind and you're good to reveal yourself to us. And so I pray today you would give us minds that are, um, that are open to the things that you want to teach us. For those in here who need a rebuke, that you'd rebuke us. For those that need comfort, you would comfort us. For those that need both, God, in your spirit, and through your word, that you would do both. I pray, God, that you would um, use me. I desperately need your help. Anoint me, my mouth, my mind, to preach Christ. who is who is Jesus the person of Jesus if you guys ask that question out around or even if you ask yourselves this question who is Jesus you will probably get all sorts of answers you will get answers like well he was a wonderful and amazing ethical teacher his sermon on the mount was the greatest ethical teaching ever written down ever communicated well or he's a powerful miracle worker or a purveyor of power. He's the starter of a religion. He's all of these things. Do you ever wonder and ever notice how when you're reading the gospel accounts, whether it's Mark or Matthew, Luke, John, whatever account, you always uh, come to this place where Jesus doesn't tells people that they're not allowed to tell anyone about him. Like, all of a sudden, Jesus heals a blind man. He goes, okay, blind man. You used to be blind, but now you can see, but listen, that's not the point. This is the point. Don't tell anybody. Okay, go away. And then He heals someone who has leprosy. I'm healed. Okay, that's great. You're healed. Okay, don't tell nobody. You're like, wait a second. That just sounds weird. Don't you want, if you want this thing to gain momentum, if you want to go global with this, Jesus, I should probably tell someone. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't tell anyone. Why does Jesus do that throughout the the narrative, especially of Mark? It keeps coming up again and again and again. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. And then you also have people asking question who is this what is this what's going on here you have people who think they can see but they're blind but then you also have people who are blind but they can see so in this narrative why this and um, commentators call it the secret messianic motif why do you have this motif where jesus is like this undercover messiah like it's just it's right beneath his cloak and he's like i i am super messiah but I, i can't tell anyone yet Why does it seem like that when you're reading through the gospel narrative, especially the book of Mark? Why is this there? And who is Christ? This is how Mark told the story of Jesus. This is how it opens up. Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is how Mark starts his book. He first announces his subject, Jesus, and his identity. He gives it away right away. Okay, so... Everyone in the gospel narrative, nobody knows who Jesus is, but now you and I, the readers know. He like lets us in. He's like, okay, I'm going to let you guys know. Jesus Christ is the son of God and the gospel, it's about him. And then you read the narrative, you're like, but no one else is really getting this. He announces the subject, the identity of Jesus. And this is the account of Jesus. And the gospel concerns Jesus. And Jesus is the son of God. And this sentence will hang over the entire book of Mark, like Mark's title, so the book of Mark shouldn't be called the book of Mark. It should be called the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The beginning. And I love how Mark uses that, especially as we get into Genesis. The beginning. This word, the beginning, should awaken echoes of the first phrase in Genesis. In the beginning, God created. And then Mark starts his narrative. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our minds are brought back to the book of beginnings. Now, why does this happen? Why does Mark do this? It's because God who initiated creation is now the God who initiates redemption. The God who initiates creation, who starts it, how does he start it? We'll get there. But the God who does initiate creation, who says, who speaks, and it is, who initiates creation, now is re- initiating redemption. The God who creates Creation and creativity, who does it in perfect order and in perfect form to bring about perfect peace, perfect shalom, has already a plan since the beginning before creation goes bad, before people murder each other and babies die and animals attack and your heart gets broken and people get cancer, and people lose their job. Before there is this vandalism of shalom, before all of that, God has in his mind a plan already put together to win creation back to himself. And this is the beginning of that story, the gospel. So Genesis is the beginning of God's creation, and Mark is the beginning of the gospel's recreation. Genesis is the beginning of creation. Mark is the beginning of the gospel's recreation, how the gospel recreates things. Mark starts out by saying that there's a new beginning. And this is what Mark is announcing here. He's like, this is the new beginning. The gospel here is bringing about a brand new beginning for everyone, a recreation of sorts. Just as in Genesis, God initiated creation here at this time, God is initiating salvation. Now, these biblical overtones are awakened to make very clear that this is all God's doing. This is what God is doing through Christ, in Christ, God in flesh. This is what God is doing. So the gospel is a a beginning. It's a new beginning. And this is why Mark uses the word gospel. Now, what does Mark mean by gospel? So if if, if, if this is his gospel, Jesus Christ, Son of God, and this is the gospel. What does he mean by the word gospel? Is Mark saying, okay, I'm starting a new genre of writing here. It's called the gospel writing. And then other people are going to follow me. We're all going to have four books at the very beginning of the New Testament. And the genre is going to be the gospel. That's not what Mark was talking about. Mark was using this word in Greek, evangelion. This word had a lot of meaning. First, it had meaning in in, in ancient Roman context. Ancient Romans would use the word evangelion as a word that meant an announcement of victory. They would say it's evangelion or good news. It was an announcement of victory from the battlefield. The etymology went on to mean an epic announcement of good news. It was when someone had amazing news. They would go, I have Evangelion. I have great news. It's news. So first off, no, it's not advice. It's not self-help. It's not a prescription. It's news. It's been done. If you go to the doctor, there's a huge difference when the doctor gives you news that you are good, well, healed, whatever. Or when he writes a prescription for you to get better. News is it's done, it's happened. This is news. The gospel, first and foremost, is news of something that God has done. But in the Jewish context, borrowed heavily from Isaiah, the gospel meant also the inbreaking of God's final saving act when he would bring peace, good news, release from oppression, and everyone would be showered with the peace of God peace of God would shower on all his people. So what Mark does is he hijacks both of these meanings, both good news and also this Old Testament in-breaking kingdom of God. So here's the good news of God breaking into human history to, to set all wrongs right. So the identity of Jesus begins to take shape from the very first sentence. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. And this is why when Jesus came on the scene in verse 15 of Mark's gospel, Jesus came on the scene with these opening lines. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here it is. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. And this is what you must do. You must repent, which is a great word, by the way. It's not a word that you're like, oh my gosh, it's such a bad word. It's a wonderful word. It means turn from your way of thinking to the way God thinks. Turn from your way of living to the way God wants you to live turn, but not just turn away from something, turn to something. And that's the biggest part of repentance. It isn't just, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do that. It's actually just turning to the gospel, turning to Jesus. Repent and turn and believe in the gospel. And for the first half of this book, the inbreaking of God's kingdom looks almost like a movie, almost like a summer blockbuster, some Avenger movie or something like that. It's almost comic book. It's almost superhero. Because Jesus breaks in, in the beginning of Mark, if you've ever read through the narrative of Mark, he breaks in at superhero status. He breaks in, casting out demons, healing the sick, challenging the smartest people of the day, raising the dead, calming the sea and the wind, walking on water, feeding thousands of people with just a couple uh, fish and loaves. Jesus is releasing his sovereign power over everything created. Everything. But this is what makes the book of Mark so fascinating when you're reading it. Mark lets us know who Jesus is and how the gospel concerns Jesus right away from the opening line. But no one else knows who Jesus is. No one else does. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 21... When Jesus is preaching in a synagogue, and a demoniac, a, de- a man with a, with a demon, demonized man, stands up and starts yelling at Jesus. And Jesus says, sit down, shut up, and demon, come out of the person. And the man does, and the demon leaves. Everyone, everyone stops and goes, what is this? What's going on here? Like, people just don't do that. What's going on here? And then later on, when Jesus heals a leper, he says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone the power that just happened to you. Don't let anyone know. And then later on, this paralytic is healed. This paralytic is dropped from the roof. And Jesus looks at him and goes, son, your, your sins are forgiven. And everyone around him like, you're not, you're not allowed to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. He's like, oh yeah? Your sins are forgiven and take up your mat and walk. And he does. And then everyone goes, we've never seen anything like this. Who is this? And then in chapter four, leading up to chapter five, which I want to read in a second. Then in chapter four. You have this storm, and Jesus, his disciples, who's who's seen all of this happen, who's been following Jesus, they're in a storm, a massive storm. A lot of them are fishermen. They're all thinking they're going to die. They're all going to go down. They're like, we're fishermen. We're trained. We know when we're just going to count our losses. We're all going to die. Jesus, wake up. You're sleeping on the boat. We're going to die. You guys, you ready to die? Jesus stands up, and he tells the wind and the waves literally, sit down and shut up. And then the wind and the waves listen to Jesus, and he goes, calm. Okay, he says, hey, waves, sit down, shut up. And the waves go, okay. And they do. And then the disciples around them, it says they were terrified. And they looked at Jesus and they said, who is this? Okay, we've been walking with you for some time now. We've seen the paralytic thing. We saw the leprosy thing. We saw the demoniac thing. But you just told a storm to shut up. And it did. Okay, who are you? The gig is up. What's going on here? Nobody Understands the power of Jesus. No one really gets it. But the dramatic part of the and and the, the dramatic irony that enters in is Jesus doesn't really want them to get it. Jesus doesn't really want them to go tell anybody yet. Jesus doesn't really want them, and they don't get it. And then Jesus doesn't really even let them get it yet there's tension between the fact that we know who he is. We can get into chapter four and go, uh, can't you see he's the son of God? Verse one, hello. But they don't have that. They're like, who is this? What's also strange is because we have, we're fairly modern and very cultured. We know the end of the story. It's like we've lived somewhere where we've never heard the Jesus story before. I think everyone in here knows the end of the book of Mark. If you didn't, I, I hate to give this away, but Jesus dies. So so at the very beginning, like, hey, this is the son of God. This is the sovereign son of God. And you're like, wait a second, he dies. What do you mean the sovereign son of God? At the end of the story, I know, I've read, I've heard, he dies. Like, how do you reconcile those two things? So Mark draws this tension in. Now, if you're a skeptic in here, I'm sure there's several of you who are like, I'm kind of skeptical of Jesus, very skeptical of Jesus' church. Very skeptical of pastors. I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic. You're, you're actually in very good company. The context of this book, of the book of Mark, is unbelief. No one really believes. And the climate of the book of Mark is unawareness. No one really gets what's going on. Mark will present who Jesus really is inside of this context and inside of this climate. And so what happens is this keeps moving forward. This momentum keeps building on Jesus' power, his majesty, his His work, and all these things. And then I think, I believe, it kind of like comes to a head here in chapter five. So I want to read this to you. Now, I want to read, I wish I could read this like my wife reads kids' stories. She's the best kid story reader. I just can't do that. I, I was practicing before first service. It sounded good. I chickened out. I'll probably chicken out again. I'll try, but I don't think I'll do a good job. But this is what, this is what, how Mark rolls, okay? Mark rolls with first an announcement. This is Jesus' identity. He's the Son of God. Then he's casting out demons. Then he's healing people. Then he's confronting religious authorities. And then he's calming storms. And then in chapter 5, we meet this man. Verse 1. And they came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. Sorry, I can't, I can't use my voice. I tried my head. just wouldn't come out. Okay. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, okay, you got to, man, I really wish I could read this differently. Okay, so when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately, okay, Mark loves this word immediately, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So Jesus steps out of the boat, and this, this man steps out from the tomb, steps out from a graveyard. And this man has a demon, or many demons. And he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. They tried, not even with the chain. they like wrapped chains around this man, but no one can bind him for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. So not only this guy demonic, not only this guy live in graveyard, but he's so strong where you try to bind him with chains. He breaks chains apart. Then it goes on. No one had the strength to subdue him. Verse five. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, always yelling, always howling at the moon and cutting himself with stone. So not only was this man demonic, not only was this man lived in the graveyard and the tombs, not only was he so strong you couldn't bind him, but he also cut himself, howled, and was naked. So he's bloody, naked chained man that lives in the tomb. So Jesus steps out of the boat and then Mark goes, and then we met this man. And he comes out of the tombs. He's just like dragging chains behind him and he's like bloody and all cut up and he's howling and yelling. But then he sees Jesus. And verse six, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said to Jesus, Jesus, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, please do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So all of this momentum leads up to this point where you have this man who's so powerful, so gnarly, howling monster man coming out of the tombs. And as you're watching, you're like, what's happening? And what's gonna happen? And this man comes right to Jesus and he falls at Jesus's feet. And if you're a disciple, you're going, who is this? Who is this that the storm just listened to him and this demonic man who no one can tame, who is actually a very beautiful picture, I think of humanity. Who no one can chain, who's isolated, alone, tortured. And then Jesus heals him, puts him in his right mind. All these demons leave. The town comes out. They're afraid of Jesus' power. They say, Jesus, can you please leave? You're freaking us out. Like this man, we couldn't even chain him down, and you just walked up and he felt your feet. See, this is how Mark characterizes the kingdom of God the in-breaking kingdom of God through Christ. The kingdom of God has broke into time and space, takes on human flesh, and is setting everything right again, reversing the fall of humanity, making everything new again. See, but Jesus isn't just a social worker here. He's not just like, okay, I'm going to heal some people. I'm going to like feed some people. I'm going to, I'm going to free some tormented people. He doesn't do less than that. He does a lot more than Remember, Mark started his story by telling us, the readers, who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the Son of God. And now we're getting to see what that looks like. But then this, this the, the pivotal moment happens here in Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, him and his disciples were at this place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked him a question, probably the most important question ever. Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? remember we the audience know i mean we can say hey you're the christ you're the son of god we can say that because that's how mark opened up and at this point of the narrative you don't even believe it but what jesus has what jesus does here is actually rebukes peter look at at what happens in verse 29 peter says you are the christ and it is true jesus is the christ he is the son of god but notice peter's designation of jesus as messiah it also carries a range of connotations it also means you're it's like the strongly nationalistic charged word you're the christ you're the savior and not in the sense of my my soul but you're like the one that's going to overthrow rome you're going to bring uh israel back to its former days of glory we're going to rule with you you are the christ i have a sword let's do this that's what he means Jesus is like, that's not what it means. Look at what happens in verse 30. And he strictly charged or he rebuked all of them and said, don't tell anyone about me. Commenters, again, like I said, call this the secret messianic motif. Jesus tells almost everyone not to reveal who he is. He says, listen, don't tell anyone, even his own disciples. Okay, who do you say that I am? Uh, Jesus, you're the Christ. Okay, that's right but don't say anything. You're like, wait, I thought, wouldn't you want everyone to tell? Like, I just got it, right answer. I'm not allowed to tell anybody. Why did Jesus say, okay, you have the right answer, but you don't have the right answer. Verse 31, look at what happened. And he began, Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly to them. And Peter took him aside and said, Jesus, um, dude, you can't. You're not going to die. That's paraphrase, by the way. If you're looking up for that, that's not there. Okay, paraphrase. Jesus, you can't die. You're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus said, turning and seeing his disciples said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on things that are of God, but things that are of man. Now, I want you to, I want to insert, I want, I want to say something right here that I, I want you to really think about and get we have this horrific, even as people that go to church and are Christians, a horrific sort of tendency to make Jesus into our own image. What we do is we're guilty of making our own versions of, virgin, versions of Jesus. Even his closest followers at this time were guilty of this. We make up and follow a Jesus that we're comfortable with, What we do is we take a Jesus, we're like, Jesus, I want you to be this political party and I want you to to like get behind these sort of like causes and these agendas. And I want you to believe this about sexuality and I want you to believe this about friendship and I want you to believe this about my money and I want you to believe this about my political party. Okay, Jesus, be my God. And that's what we do with Jesus. And he gets behind our political things and he gets behind... The way that we date, the way that we spend our money, the way that we spend our time, the way that we invest into our city and our culture, and he becomes, whether it's world peace or self-righteousness, whether it's religion or spirituality, we fashion Jesus and what we think he should do, and then we follow him that way. And this is exactly what Peter was doing. You are the Christ. And all of us in here will go, that's the right answer. Jesus is like, Jesus said, okay, that's the right answer, but it doesn't mean the same thing. When you say, I'm your Christ, you mean I'm going to overtake Rome, I'm going to overthrow the, 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 the powers of that day, and I'm, well, I'm going to sit on the seat of David, and you're going to be my right, and you're going to be on my left, and we're going to rule Israel. That's not what this means. We do the same thing, though. Jesus, you're the Christ, and what that means is, I could do whatever the heck I want, and now I die, I get to go to heaven, right? Okay, good. I could do whatever the heck I want, and I could just, like, say sorry, and all my guilt's gone, right? Okay, cool, 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 got it. it. Okay, so then, so I could just rule my own life, and then you can be, like, that spiritual guide whenever I want to pray, right? Okay, got it. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. You got it wrong. That's not who I am. This is why Jesus doesn't let anyone tell about who he is because they don't have the whole picture yet. If you think that Jesus is just some political dude behind your political party, please don't tell anybody about Jesus. If you think Jesus is some like religious person to keep everyone in San Francisco in check, please don't tell anybody about Jesus because that's not who Jesus is. The reason why Jesus tells almost everyone who thinks they know who he is, not to tell a soul is because they don't have the whole picture yet. Those who have recognized Jesus as Messiah have much to learn about what that means. So after this pivotal moment at Caesarea Philippi, the mighty works of Jesus almost stop. There's only three miracles from chapter eight on. And they're not even that huge in terms of what he did before. Like almost zero miracles. That's it, done. And all of a sudden the controlling symbol So understanding Jesus becomes the cross. He says over and over and over again, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. And whoever wants to be my disciple has to go to their own cross. Everyone who wants to be my disciple has to pick up their own cross and follow me. Jesus can be rightly understood and rightly followed only as the son of man who will surrender power in order to suffer and die for your sin and my sin. And this is what brings that dramatic tension in Mark's book to an end. No one truly sees Jesus for who he is. The ones that do, he tells to be quiet. The ones that don't get it reject him. Some follow only to leave later. No one really sees Jesus until the cross because who Jesus is, is wrapped up in what Jesus has come to do. Please hear that. If you have some sort of thought about Christianity or some sort of thought about the way church is and you've you've kind of morphed Jesus into some guru, teacher, whatever, would you please stop and reconsider that Jesus wouldn't even let people think that about him? You don't get me until you understand the cross. Then you get me. But until that point, you don't get me. And as Jesus would go to his death, under a false false accusation, a brutal torture, and mocking crowds, he hung on a rugged cross, paying for our forgiveness, our sins. And then, as Jesus breathes his last breath on the cross... There's, um, Mark tells about this Roman centurion who is a trained killer, an executioner. He did this. He's seen dozens, if not hundreds of people die. He knows, he went to school, he trained to kill people. And he was next to Jesus, making sure, overseeing, making sure that Jesus was really dead. And when Jesus breathed his last breath, this is what the centurion said. Truly, this man was the son of God. The book starts this way. Jesus, the son of God. Nobody gets that. Nobody understands that. And at the end, he's crucified and a, Roman, a secular Roman centurion says, son of God. That's who he is. And you know what Mark does? He leaves it there. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 I'm not. Don't tell anyone. Mark goes, ta-da, now you get it. Do you want to see who Jesus is? There he is on the cross. And he goes, now tell the world. He leaves it there. And that's why Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel. Actually, Mark's gospel ends right after that moment. It ends. Actually, if you notice in your Bible, it says um, recent man, or ancient manuscripts do not have this section in Mark. If you've ever read that in your Bible. The, the book of Mark, the original book of Mark ends right there. The reason why is Mark says this is the beginning. One of the beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the son of God, his life, his ministry, crucifixion, death. That's the beginning. See, the real Jesus can only be known at the cross. If you only know Jesus as the teacher or the spiritualist or the humble guru, you don't have the whole picture. Jesus can only be known as the Son of God when he is known as the crucified one. And Jesus died at the lowest point humanity has ever seen. Jesus died at humanity's lowest point. When Jesus was crucified, the judicial system broke down because he was completely innocent, but he was killed anyway. The buddy system broke down. His disciples left him. Friendship broke down. Like Peter said, I got your back. I will go to the, I will go to the death with you, Jesus, and that broke down. The family system broke down. His brothers, at the point of his crucifixion, didn't even believe in who he was. The religious system broke down. Israel watched as their Messiah was killed and yelled, Crucify. And the point is that we wouldn't have done any better. In our own lives, we can't do any better. We can't run our own lives any better. So Jesus shows the greatest expression of God's love when we were at our worst. That's redeeming love. That's the love of God. That's what Paul writes in Romans, that the love of Christ compels us. We see at humanity's worst, at your worst, at that point is when Christ was crucified. That's why you don't know Jesus until you know the cross. Jesus isn't simply a great moral teacher or a social worker or a purveyor of power. He is the suffering son of God whose rejection, suffering, and death reveal the triumph of God over sin, over death, and over the devil. Jesus came to simply show the power and the peace of God. He actually didn't come to show. He, showed, he came to show that he came to die for our sins. The gospel can only be known in the light of this story. This is why the gospel is news, not advice. It's been done. My teaching today isn't, okay, this is what Christ has done for you. Now go do something good for him. That's advice, right? That's not news. News is this. This is what Christ has done for you, period. Believe, done. And let that change you news is i've done nothing to deserve this it's been done for me news is something that you receive and how do you receive this good news this evangelion jesus began his ministry like this the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel repentance is the most beautiful word in the in the scriptures Peter later goes on after denying Christ to say to a lot of people during Pentecost, repent from your sins that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance means I'm turning from the way that I've fashioned my own Jesus, fashioned my own life, and I'm turning to Christ. And I might be turning at the worst point in my life. I might be turning at the lowest point in my life. I might be turning when I, when, I, when I don't deserve to turn. But it was at that point that Christ went to the cross. And as we turn to God in faith, we receive his redemption. And we are, as the gospel began, Remade. God made us, and then he remakes us. Let's pray. Lord, it's been my prayer this, today that this church would just see and experience Jesus. and That's all I want to do today, Lord. May we see Jesus. May we experience the risen Christ. May we repent if we make you out to be simply a teacher or simply someone who wants to solve our problems and not our Lord. When we see you on the cross, we see redemption. We see love. I pray that we'd receive that love and it would change our hearts as we see the love of Christ, that we experience the love of Christ, we bring the love of Christ into our own lives, that it would change us. Would you transform us today? In Jesus' name.